You keep her in line over there. I'll be singing your praise because you have redeemed me by giving your son my freedom's been won and you will be loving me throughout all eternity and I will be loving you for who you are and what you do when I am afraid I know you'll protect me For the prayer I have made I know you have heard When I am alone I know you are with me All faithful and true I rest in your word Oh, you are my father all of my days I'll be praising your ways because you truly love me. When you gave up your son whose work is all done and you will be loving me throughout all eternity. And I will be loving you for who you are and what you do. When I am afraid... I know you'll protect me For the prayer I have made I know you have heard When I am alone I know you are with me All faithful and true I rest in your word Oh, you are my father all of my days I'll be singing your praise because you have redeemed me by giving your son my freedom's been won and you will be loving me throughout all eternity and I will be loving you for who you are and what you do oh you Father, oh, you are. You're my father. Oh, yes, you are. You're my father. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. I love you with all of my heart. All right, good evening. Could you turn your Bibles to the book of Romans? Romans chapter 15, verse 30. Romans chapter 15, verse 30. 
All right. Why is this doing that? Okay. There we go. Don't want you to see my first point. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to uh, a little bit cooler today, huh? You know, it was really weird. Uh, I thought we were going to supposed to get storms last night. I'm looking at the radar. I'm looking at, you know, IntelliCast or, you know, go to KCIG's website. We didn't get any storms last night. What happened? Are they just... Where? Wait. I heard, I heard there was great hail, a lot of hail. It must have been north of us, right? We never got anything. I mean, I'm looking at the radar. Said, it's got to hit us. Do you see that at all, Titus, last night? Did you, know, did you go to the radar? It was like, how come we never got I'm sitting there waiting. Oh, get ready for a good storm, right? Huh? It divided? That's because we were in the prayer meeting last night. We said, you know, hey, can you spare us the tornadoes and anything and stuff, right? Well, look what happened. We never got a, we never got a drop. Isn't that something? We actually prayed for the weather. Yeah. You said snow? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, when it, well, we've had enough rain, I think, right? Yeah, we had buckets of... Yeah. Well, I'm glad we, you know... I kind of like storms myself, but um, it doesn't matter. I'm glad we missed it, but... Uh, so, anyways, um, so it was, a, it was a little bit dry, drier. I guess the heat index at 10 o'clock last night was, like, three digits. It was, like, 101. That's bad. That's, for old people like me, that's a tough thing. I don't like to venture out into those things. Oh, <laughs> at my age, you know, it gets a little bit dangerous out there. You know, I might have a, you know, an asthma attack or something. I don't know. My lungs, my lungs might give out. You never know. So, what did we, what do we do before air conditioning? We sweat it, right? <laughs> I don't know. Man, I tell you, we we got it tough here in America, huh? We sit in our air conditioning homes and and uh, we got it. We're so spoiled. It's really ridiculous. It's going to be embarrassing, really. I mean, to me, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm already ready to prepare for it. It's like, you know, you know, you, you just watch these other pastors and other Christians from the from history, like Timothy and Paul, and they the, the, the suffering they endured and all this stuff. It's like, we're cream puffs compared to those guys. <laughs> it's like, you know, even these people, and they, you know, they they went through all this adversity, and here we are. Well, geez, I, the air conditioning broke in the church. <laughs> Well, they try to kill me, you know, for teaching the gospel. My air conditioning broke in the church. I'm suffering for Jesus. I mean, it's going to be embarrassing. I'm, I'm just going to just, I'm just going to sneak in the back of the place and just hope I, I might get one reward or something, you know. Thinking this is in the back of the church and, you know, back of the whole thing is that, oh, guys, you have to, okay, here comes Bill Wenstrom. He lived in the most prosperous part, time of history in world history in the United States of America. And he, uh, <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's just kind of funny. But, I always like to say this, that, you know, it's a little encouragement for us. I think it's much more deceptive to live in a, and more difficult and a greater test to live in a prosperous country. More, absolutely much more difficult because the, the tendency of us, because of the sin nature, is to relax and not draw close to God. People who are involved in persecution, who are they going to, the Christians, they're going to turn to the Lord, Right? They're going to cling to him. They have nothing. Who else they have? Prosperity is a great, great test. And so maybe it's going to, it'll even, I'm sure it'll even out. I'm sure we'll get whatever we deserve. But, you know, I think especially uh, pastors in our day and age, myself, I think we have a tough time of it in the sense that 
because so many, especially in this country, because we have so many distractions with entertainment, with television, with this, with ball games, and uh, you know, in in having to deal with you know poor attendance. I mean, a lot of there's not. I'm not the only pastor that deals with poor attendance during the week. I mean, it's all right, not too bad on Sundays, but but you know, during the week, I mean, I know a bunch of guys who have the same problem that teach the similar way I teach. And, you know, I think that's, uh, it's much more difficult, you know, when you have a people in Africa, you know, that's all, they, they're poor, they don't have, the, Jesus is everything, which is the way it should be, but they don't have these other distractions that we have. And they get a, a you know, these pastors got a, you know, people come from 30 miles walking in their bare feet to hear the word of God. I've heard stories of that. It's like, pff, I would kill to have something like that. People walking 30 miles in their bare feet to come to hear me teach the word of God. I mean, that would be, that would be so awesome. But in, you know, in America, I got people, you know, <laughs> they could drive in there. It's too long to drive. You know, uh, it's too long to drive. I'm, I'm 10 minutes away and I have to drive my air conditioning car. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me. We're gonna be pretty, some of us are gonna be pretty embarrassed when we stand with other Christians who had a lot less. But, uh, prosperity is definitely a big test because of our sin nature. We have a tendency to relax and not go to God. And in this country, we have so many distractions. We have so much prosperity. And it's very difficult uh, to, uh, uh, it's very difficult to, uh, to in, a, in that sense, to be a Christian. I think the devil, instead of full frontal attack with us in America, he can just, he can just put us to sleep with all this prosperity that we have, which is happening in our country. So um, enough of that. Let's just get underway. We got a, I got a lot of grand, a lot of stuff to talk about this evening. We're going to study, uh, finish off Romans fifteen thirty this evening. We're going to see that Paul requests that the Romans fight together with him by means of their prayers in the presence of the Father on behalf of him. So we're going to have a lot to say about prayer. We did a book on prayer. We t- in the book of Philippians, in our study of Philippians, we had 83 hours. All of it is on audio on the website. The book is on the website. You can download it uh, under our uh, uh, written materials, our library, written library. So we've done a lot on prayer, so we're going to talk a lot about prayer. But we're going to talk a lot about prayer in the relation to spiritual uh, conflict with the kingdom of darkness. And, and we're going to see that Paul, we, the word he uses here in the Greek is talking about fighting together with him in prayer, interceding in prayer for him. So I, I think you're going to find this uh, quite interesting. And uh, so without further ado, let's take a moment of silent prayer. Remember, we can't hear what the Spirit's going to say to us through the teaching of the word of God if we're harboring any known sin in our stream of consciousness and thus we're out of fellowship with God. To get back into fellowship with God, we apply 1 John 1, 9, which Paul calls judging the body rightly in 1 Corinthians 11. But we confess our sins, admit the sin. It has nothing to do with feeling sorry for the sin because all God is concerned about is you doing what he tells you to do. He says, confess the sin. That means admit it to the Father. And because of who Jesus is and what he did at the cross for those sins, God the Father restores you to fellowship with himself. We maintain that fellowship by staying obedient to him, obeying what the Spirit says to us through the teaching of the Word of God. So when we go to this opening, uh, have this opening prayer, ask the Father to help you to concentrate. If you have a problem with concentrating, and uh, a lot of people are not used to this type of teaching because of the society we live in. We have a, you know, we have the soundbite mentality and we have the, you know, like the, uh, ment- uh, the attention span of a puppy dog, some Americans. And uh, so therefore we have a lot, of, because of this television generation that we have, computer generation, uh, so it's very important that we learn to concentrate. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an art. So uh, this is a time when the opening prayer, you can ask God to help you concentrate 
And we need to be active listeners. We've got to listen carefully what the Spirit's going to say to us. God's going to speak to us this evening and to me as well and through me. So this is a very important time that we uh, prepare ourselves to hear what the Spirit's going to say to us through the teaching of the Word of God. So if there's anything that's bothering you, uh, do it first, Peter. See, for instance, my, my neighbor, my, ne- my next-door neighbor who... Oh, she's here tonight. I have to, I have to cast all my anxieties upon the Lord because she drives me crazy and stuff. No, I'm just kidding. I love you, daughter. <laughs> she's going to go back. Why didn't you mention my name in church? Because I love you. I, I like to tease you. So anyways, with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another, de- another time to approach you in prayer, another day, another moment to approach you in prayer. We know that we can approach you uh, based upon the merits of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we could approach you with boldness and because of what he did for us at the cross and because of our union with him. And we know that your word states that we're seated at your right hand, so we know that we're in your presence, seated at your right hand. Though we're here on earth, your word says, because we're in union with your Son, that we're in actuality, in reality, right at, your, right at your right hand. And we just thank you for the fact that you care for us and love us and loved us so much even when we were your enemies by sending your son to the cross for us. We thank you so much also for raising us up and seating us with your son when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. We know we have no merit with you, Father, and that we approach you uh, boldly on the merits of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his death at the cross and also our union with him. And Father, we just uh, thank you, first of all, for revealing your character and nature to us, revealing who and what your Son is as the God-man and the Spirit, and what you've accomplished for us in eternity past, and what you've accomplished for us in the past, now are accomplishing us through both your Son and the Spirit, and will accomplish for us in the future through the Son and the Spirit. We thank you, Father, for giving us a plan, a purpose in life to become like your Son, Jesus Christ, and a mission statement here in this church to get the gospel out, not only to communicate the gospel to the unsaved, but also to grow to spiritual maturity ourselves so that we can bring glory to you. Help us to grow in love toward you and each other. Help those in this church who have a bitterness or problems or difficulties with someone to look at the fact that they've been forgiven by you through your son, and therefore they're obligated to forgive and be patient and tolerant of, of each other. And we also uh, we thank you for uh, the fact that John McKinney would be released from the hospital. And we just pray that you would uh, give uh, him uh, a full recovery. And we just uh, thank you, Father, that he is, uh, came through all right. But just help him with, uh, with the speech and help him uh, with the therapy for that. So we just pray for him and, and his wife, Barbara. And we also we, uh, we pray for this evening that you would help us all in the audience to concentrate, those in the chapel and those who might be listening uh, on the uh, on the internet on Pal Talk, we pray that the Spirit would speak to each one individually in this church as a local assembly, and also we pray that you would uh, give grace to the communicators so that the audience would be built up and edified, 
and instructed in righteousness, rebuked if necessary, encouraged to go forward in your plan. And we also pray that as a result of this Bible class, that you, of course, and your son, Jesus Christ, would be lifted up and glorified, and that we all, both Jew and Gentile, male and female, would with one voice glorify you and your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray for these people and things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Yesterday, we began a study of Romans 15.30 by noting that Paul requests that the Roman believers pray for him on the basis of their common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as on the basis of the divine love produced by the Spirit. As we saw last evening, the application is, is that we should pray for each other. We're all members of the body of Christ. If we believe in Jesus Christ, regardless if you're a Catholic, Presbyterian, Lutheran, if you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are in the family of God and you share a common relationship with a born-again Catholic, a born-again Lutheran, a born-again non-denominational, Pentecostal, whatever you are in denomination. In fact, God doesn't even recognize denominations. That's man-made. But anyone who believes in his son is a part of his family. And therefore, regardless of our denominational uh, affiliation, we are related to each other by the spiritual birth. And we're going to spend all of eternity with each other. Now, as we've seen in the past, the royal family honor code is that we love each other as God and Christ has loved us. And on the basis of that, Paul asked the Roman believers to pray for him. On the basis of the common relationship that they share with the Lord Jesus Christ, he's their spiritual brother. And on the basis of the fact that the, of the divine love that is produced by the Spirit, he wanted the Roman believers to pray for him. So if we love, as we saw last evening, if we love our fellow believer, whether we like, we might not even like our fellow believer, or we might have a problem with that f- fellow believer, but nonetheless, we're commanded to pray. We're to pray for our enemies, as Jesus did on the cross. And of course, you and I can't do that in our own power, in our human nature. We can only, we can only use the power of the Spirit to do this. With the power of the Spirit, we can, in turn, pray for those who have wounded us and hurt us and pray for our enemies. We cannot do it any other way. And now, how do we do that? How do we pray by the Spirit? I have shown you the mechanics of that in the past, and I presented it last evening. The Holy Spirit speaks to you of God's love for you personally. And me personally. Romans 5, 6 through 8, we saw last evening. While we were yet sinners, ungodly, Christ died for the ungodly. And then when we were dead in our sins and transgressions, Ephesians 2, he raised us up and seated us with his son at the right hand, at his right hand, when we were his enemies. So that's how God treated us. Therefore, we, when we uh, have faith in that, we will, uh, will demonstrate that faith in that revelation given to us in the word of God by obeying the command to love one another as God and Christ has loved us. So the key to loving in the power of the Spirit is to listen to what the Spirit says, how he loves you and I. And when we do that and take that on faith, that when we look at how God has treated us, that will remind us and give us the power, the strength, to turn around and love people who have wounded us. So this is something we first have to look at how God treated us in love before we can turn around and love our fellow uh, believer or even our fellow, the unbeliever in our life uh, that is causing us problems or might be even persecuting us. So it all comes back to how did God treat us and that the Bible says that we're obligated to love one another and love demonstrates itself in forgiveness, patience, tolerance, gentleness, uh, self-control and also praying for your fellow believer. And this this is the basis for Paul requesting the Roman believers 
uh, pray for him, intercede in prayer for him, fight together with him in prayers, we're going to see, on his behalf. The two basis, or the two reasons, one, the common relationship that they share with the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as on the basis of the divine love produced by the Spirit. So if you love your fellow believer, you will pray for them. Not complain, get bitter at them, that's living in your flesh, and you've shown you you're deceived by the devil if you fall for that lie. So this evening, we're going to wrap up our study of this verse, Romans 15.30, by noting that Paul requested that the Romans fight together with him by means of their prayers in the presence of the Father on his behalf. So we're going to see with this word in the original, which is uh, translated strive together in Romans 15.30. It actually, as we'll see, means fight together. It's talking about spiritual conflict. If you, have, if you read your Bible, if you're a student of the Word of God, you cannot get around the fact that the Bible says that we're at war. This is not a time of peace for the Christian he is a soldier of Christ Jesus. We were enlisted in his army the minute we trusted in Christ as Savior. And we're to be good soldiers of Christ Jesus. We're to endure undeserved suffering. We're to take up the shield of faith, the full armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, the helmet of salvation, the combat boots of the gospel. We're to put on the belt of truth. We're to put on all these things, the breastplate of righteousness. We're to put on all these things, the full armor of God, which speaks of our union with Christ, and prayer, the word of God and prayer are our two offensive weapons. The armor of God, our union with Christ, is actually defensive. So we see that we need to you understand that we have to rest in our position in Christ and do what the word of God says. As it says in, in, he, in he, uh, James 4, 7, a passage I've been applying over the last month or so fervently, is to submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. If you apply the word of God, such as if someone attacks you, you forgive them. You're using the word of God, the sword of the spirit, to, to repel the attacks of the enemy which, who might try to get you to be bitter at somebody. And that's be out of fellowship with God and thus ruin your testimony and your growth in the Lord. So we need to use these things. We're at war, people. And the enemy is not your fellow believer. Your enemy is not the unbeliever. Your enemy is not the Democrats or the Republicans. Your enemy as a Christian is the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness, and I said this two months ago, the kingdom of darkness, and I've said it before many times, and I've said it so many times, is that the kingdom of darkness is not sitting down at the bar at Big Al's uh, with, with uh, Susie Q and Billy Bob, okay, as they get smashed. Then they already got those people in their back pocket. What they're in is into the churches that are teaching the word of God. Why? They want to stop the word of God. They want to do everything they can to stop it. And that's why I say the, the guy who's your pastor, he's got the biggest bullseye on his back because if you cut off the head, then you got the rest of the body. If you cut off the communicator, they know that they got something there. So that's why you should be praying for your communicator and praying for him because he's under attack just like you are all in, under attack. And this is something that we need to be aware of. And if we don't, if we think the devil is bound right now, as, as some of those, uh, uh, the, the uh, amillennialists or postmillennialists believe, you believe that, then you're going to be deceived. Because it says in 1 Peter 5 that the devil is prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he has devoured many, many individuals throughout history. They are smarter than us. 
people think that the kingdom of darkness is all about, uh, you know, the, the exorcist, you know, the occult. And he's, yeah, they're in the occult. However, he's a lot smarter than that. And a lot of Christians are pretty stupid because they don't know their Bible. And if they read their Bible, they'll find out that Satan is a lot smarter than they give him credit for. How did the devil attack the woman in the Garden of Eden and Adam? He went after the woman and he tried to get her to doubt God's word. So we know right from the beginning that God, that Satan's number one priority is to defeat the word of God, is to go against the word of God, is to contradict the word of God. And thus, those who communicate the word of God, whether they're pastors or evangelists or apostles in the first century, they are under attack. They're, what they teach is under attack. And this is something that we need to be aware of. This country is under some tremendous attack because we know that because of the, the attitude toward the word of God and the teaching of the word of God. And the devil is very, very smart. He, does, he not only attacks the teaching of the word of God and trying to suppress the truth. It, what also what he does is he has this massive world system that's all built about seducing you away from Jesus Christ. For instance, it's as subtle as this. For instance, when I was a young boy, I was an idolater because I was a huge sports fan and a Red Sox fan. And people think, oh, that's nothing. That's, that's, that's harmless. It's just sports. Yes, sport, there's nothing wrong in sports in itself. However, our attitude toward sports or our attitude toward money or our attitude toward relationships or our attitude toward family, if any of those things go ahead of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, we're involved in idolatry. People think that idolatry is just these little figurines that the, or the, uh, you know, the little the, the Mary in the, in the bathtub out in the backyard. They think that's idolatry. It's deeper than that. It's more than, it's anything you put ahead of your relationship with God and it could be legit legitimate like baseball and I was at a big idolater into the Red Sox in fact when I look I look at the world so much different now that God has taught me these things is that the world system it, it, it he can take the devil can use legitimate things to get you away from seduce you away from God's plan and serving God's people and to seduce you away from understanding what life is really about. A lot of Christians talk about that they know what life is all about, but they don't act like they know what life is all about. Because if they did, they would deny self, take up their cross daily, and sacrifice whatever time, talent, and treasure they have for the kingdom of God. They would be sold out for Jesus and not these lukewarm Christians, Laodicean Christians, as, as, as Paul talks, uh, John talks about, Jesus talks about, and Revelation 3. The Laodicean church was rich, wealthy, but they were spiritually blind and stupid and ignorant. And this is a picture of America today and many Christians in America today. Not all of them, but a good portion of them. And so Christians need to understand that the devil uses this world system. He'll use legitimate things even family, to take us away from the plan of God, to get us distracted. we got to see that. If we don't see that, it says in 1 John 2.15, not to love the things of the world. Because the, the, the love for the Father is not in those things. It takes us away from our relationship with God, those things. 
So we have to put them in our proper perspective. We have to have proper priorities. So that's how the devil, those are some of the ways that the devil works. That's some of his strategies. He will try to attack us and intimidate us and uh, try to get us to be afraid. I found out this morning, uh, my father calls me up, he got a, a car accident, his, his truck got nailed. Someone ran a red light on him. I said, and he thinks that the woman was on a phone. Hey, I said, it runs in the family. I got hit with a woman on a phone too. So it goes to show you when a, a woman is going out here to drive, uh, make sure she doesn't have a phone. I think we should have a law with women in phone. Women in phone. And we, we, I'll tell you what, we, we did it. We, we, you know, I'll probably lose every woman in the place now, but I really don't care because it's a joke. But the first thing we did in this country that screwed up is we gave them the vote, all right? So take that and put it on YouTube. <laughs> Oh, I just have a good time. But anyways, so you can send me your hate mail later. But anyways, we see that. Now, how did I get onto that, teasing the ladies there? So we see that the, that the world, the world we live in, is the devil is running this world. He's the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. So we have to be aware of that. And we have to understand that we're in conflict. And that we're, when the, our fellow Christians and, and even the unbelievers are not our enemy. It's actually the kingdom of darkness. So prayer, and Paul knew this. See, Paul knew that Satan's number one priority was to kill him. And, he, he, and, and he, that's why Paul solicited the prayers of the Roman believers in all the churches that he would be delivered from the disobedient Jews in Judea who rejected the gospel. The book of Acts tells us that that took place. So we see that, we see that, that being the case. And so he also, he prayed that he would get to Rome, and he did get to Rome. So both prayers were answered, but he, he had to solicit their prayers. Prayer is very, and we see in this passage in Romans 15.30, that prayer is essential if we're going to ex- experience spiritual victory in the future. The, the, the victories, the spiritual victories individually and as a church in the future are based upon our prayer life now as individuals and as a corporate unit. Now look at Romans 15.30. Now I urge you, or as we saw, I appeal to you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ on the basis of our common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and in addition on the basis of the love produced by the Spirit, to strive together with me, he says, in your prayers to God for me. Why? That I might be rescued from those who were disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem meaning delivering that gift from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia to the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem, that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. But look at verse 30. That's We're going to finish that verse off this evening. He says, now I urge you or I appeal to you, Brethren, brethren means my spiritual brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, or as we saw, uh, on the basis of our common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and in addition, on the basis of the divine love produced by the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now, this, the, the phrase to strive together is a, the infinitive form of the verb sinagonizamon. Sinagonizama, say that five times real fast. Sinagonizama is uh, in the infinitive form. It's a big word. It's a compound word. And if you notice something, uh, the word soon, okay, you see that right there? Oh, it's actually pronounced uh, C. uh, C. And we see that word, that prepositional phrase, it's a prepositional phrase. It means together with. And then we see agonizoma, that word, you see the word agony there? 
It, that's where we get the word agony there, from this Greek word. So it talks about a struggle. It talks about a fight. So this verb, this compound word, synagonizma, means to fight along with or fight together with. It talks about Christians fighting together with each other, not fighting together with each, uh, against each other, but fighting together uh, against the common enemy, the kingdom of darkness, fighting on behalf of another Christian and not fighting against each other, but fighting with each other against the common enemy. Thus, anytime you find Christians who are fighting with each other, backbiting, gossiping about each other, they don't get it, they're deceived. You know, I don't care how sweet and nice they are or how respectable they are, they've been deceived. Because if they were smart and spiritually smart and understanding and spiritually discerning, they would never ever consider their fellow believer an enemy. They would learn to fight together with, not fight against their fellow Christians. So this word here, synagonizma, means, means to fight along with or fight together with, and it's used of intercessory prayer emphasizing with Paul, Paul's readers that they must identify with him in prayer. What do I mean identify with him in prayer? It means that they were to assume his person as though they were in his place. So the application is, when you pray, pray for another Christian, let's say you pray for me. I hope my congregation prays for me. I know some do. Maybe not all of them. But let's say you're going to pray for me. Well, you to assume, and I, do, I have to do this with you, is to assume your person, to assume I was in your place. So for whatever, for instance, if somebody was going through, like for instance, Don McKinney. Don McKinney had a, had a little problem, so he was brought into the doctor. So when we pray for him, we're to assume his place. We're to assume that, identify with him. He, let's pretend that we're in his place of suffering. Okay? Let's pretend we're in his shoes and pray for him. See, if we look at each, if we, if we put ourselves in the shoes of another Christian, whatever they're going through, we find empathy for them. We, if we, that's why, in fact, it's, and the Bible even teaches this. When you go through suffering, you go through difficulties in life, you develop, you develop an, you either can be get bitter or you can develop an empathy for people and an identification with people. And this is very important. So we have to assume, we have to take their place and pray for them. And prayers, it goes back to this. You love your neighbor as yourself. You pray for your neighbor as you would yourself. Put yourself in your neighbor's place. So this word, is, this word in the Greek, uh, strive together, it's translated strive together, talks about fighting to, along with each other, t- together with, not against each other. Romans 15.31, as we just read, reveals that the Romans were to fight along with Paul in intercessory prayer for him so that he might be delivered from those in Judea who were disobedient to the gospel. We, all, we also found out that they were to pray that his service on behalf of the Jewish believers in Jerusalem might be acceptable. We also saw in verse 32, that, which we're going to study in the in next week in detail, that verse reveals that they were also to pray, the Roman believers, that Paul would, by the will of the Father, enter into their fellowship and be refreshed by their company. So he, Paul uses this word, synagonizma, to, uh, which is translated to strive together in your Bibles. It actually means to fight together with. He uses this word to describe prayer because he's well aware, people, that Satan and the kingdom of darkness would like for him to be killed in Jerusalem. And why? Because it would stop the communication of the word of God. And that the Jewish believers in Jerusalem would not find his service on their behalf acceptable. The Satan wants, he doesn't want 
Paul to arrive in Rome. He doesn't want him to go to Spain to preach the gospel to the, the heathen there. He doesn't want that to happen. Why? Because Paul's a communicator of the word of God. What's the application for our church? Pray for your pastor because he's got a bullseye on his back. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody. It has nothing to do with me personally. It has something to do with the gift. You have a, if I have a communication gift, so you're to pray for whoever your pastor. If I'm not your pastor, then pray for Pastor Billy Bob. Don't pay, pray for Peggy Sue because women can't be pastors, the Bible says. Read First Timothy 2, 11 through 15. So we see that we're to pray. We're to pray for communication. Not just your pastor, but pray for any pastor that you know. In my prayer list, i got a ton of pastors I know. I haven't even met them. I heard about them, I put them on my prayer list. We should be doing that because we want the word of God to get out. The devil doesn't. He wants to stop God's word getting out. Why? How can people get saved if they don't hear the gospel? How can Christians grow to spiritual maturity if they don't hear the word of God? They can't. So that's why it's so important. Paul uses this word here in Romans 15.30 to describe prayer because he's well aware that the devil and the kingdom of darkness, his, his fallen angels, would like for him to be killed in Jerusalem and that the Jewish believers in Jerusalem would not find his service on their behalf acceptable and that he would not arrive in Rome and head for Spain after that. So we see this is, he's talking about spiritual conflict here. He's talking about a spiritual battle. Now, I want you to go, <clears throat> excuse me, go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians 6, 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We study this passage in detail. In fact, we did years ago when I, uh, in Pal Talk, on Pal Talk, when I was just doing, when I would do classes just for Pal Talk, we did this thing on spiritual combat. I think it was like 63 hours. It's on, it's on the website somewhere under the Genesis. Well, maybe, yeah, it's got to be there. But um, uh, what we see is we did this in detail. We exegeted every word in uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 19. And, uh, and, uh, and actually 18. So we did every word. It was a great study. But look at Ephesians 6.10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord. That means empower yourself with the word of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. That means be empowered by the word from his word. And in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. That talks about your union with Christ, your identification with him. You're crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with Christ. He's using a military metaphor to describe it because he's talking about the Christian's relationship to the, the, the kingdom of darkness. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. What is one of the schemes of the devil? To in intimidate you, to get you afraid. Uh, also to get you to doubt God's word. Garden of Eden is an example of that. Look at verse, uh, verse 12. For our struggle, the Christian struggle, is not against flesh and blood. That means human beings. So they, you're, you're a fellow Christian who's a human being and the unbeliever are not your enemies. What he's saying is that it's the kingdom of darkness is your enemy. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, humanity, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. They're in the earth's atmosphere. Hey, on the, on the, in the days of creation, remember we studied creation and the, the, the re days of restoration that followed? We saw that the, on the restoration of the earth's atmosphere, we saw what happened. 
that there was no, God did not say it was good in Genesis 1 after he, he, he put the atmosphere in place. He didn't, why? Because who's sitting up there? The kingdom of darkness. They're in the earth's atmosphere. In fact, we're going to replace them when Christ comes back at his second advent, the churches. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 3 that we're going to judge angels. So he says there, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but and then he gives the, the angelic hierarchy, which we studied in detail, against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a demonic ruler over every country of the world. We've studied this. Only Israel has an elect angel over it, Michael. Included in the United States has a fallen angel over it just like everybody else does, except for Israel. Why Israel? Because Israel is the nation that Christ is going to rule in and through in his millennial reign. So then he goes on to say, in verse 13, Therefore take up the full armor of God, so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Now, when it says evil day, it talks about this evil period of history, not the 24-hour period. He's talking about an extended period of time. Unfortunate translation. Look at verse 14. Stand for, firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. The Roman, it's, he's taking this from the Roman, uh, the uh, Praetorian guard, their armor. He's taking this from, uh, he's drawing this analogy from their armor. And their belt would hold their armor together. And the belt of truth, he holds our spiritual armor together. Truth is the word of God. And then he says, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That talks about your combat boots. And then in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you'll able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What are those? Attacks on doubt, getting you to doubt the word of God. Getting you afraid. Oh, God's not going to take care of me. How am I going to pay the phone bill? And look at verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation, your deliverance from sin, Satan, and his cosmic system, and the sword of the Spirit. The word sword there is, the Romans had this sword, and uh, what it did, uh, what it did was, it was, the word was mahira, and mahira, that sword was a double-edged sword. It was like a dagger-like sword. Most swords in the ancient world were this, uh, you could cut only on one side, and they were huge. And the Germans were big guys, used to pick them up and try to go it. But when the Germans faced the Romans, they got their butts kicked, because the little guys, the Romans were only five foot eight, and they would take this dagger-like mahira, and they would hit the Germans three or four times in the chest, and he was dead before he got his axe, or his, uh, his big Rumphia around to smack the Roman. He was dead on, in the ground before. By the time he had it up here, you know, had the, had the thing cocked against the Roman. Because, and that's one of the reasons why the Romans dominated the world for a thousand years. They were tremendous military force. They understood discipline and tactics, and that you could you could might beat them in a battle, but they would win the war. Because they were that they, they, they understood what perseverance and character and integrity were all about in honor, and that's one of the, those were, they had great 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 characteristics uh, uh, the Romans uh, did in the, in the uh, first century. Now look at he goes on to say, and so he says, in the sword of the spirit you to take up, which is the word of God. Now look at he says in verse eighteen, don't stop with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in this spirit. With this in view, what? Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So what Paul's requesting in Romans 15, 30, for the Roman believers to pray for him, is he's echoing this here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, I want you to be on the lookout for me. This is what I need you to pray for. 
for me. And I need to do these things. I need to get make sure that this thing, I, I'm delivered from the disobedient Jerusalem. I need to deliver this gift. I want it to be acceptable so we can have unity between Jew and Gentile believers. I want to see you. I want to get to Spain to evangelize the, the heathen over there. All these things are important to God and they're important to me and I need your help. I need it. I want your help to pray that I get these things done. Prayer is like, it's like spiritual artillery. Uh, in, the, in the military, Napoleon knew this right off the bat. Napoleon was an, an artillery guy. And Napoleon understood artillery in the United States, uses, our, uses the Air Force uh, like artillery in the ancient world, and, and, and even actually World War II. But we see the soft artillery softens up the underbelly so that the in, of the enemy, so that the, uh, so that the infantry can go in there, the foot soldiers. So he had the boots on the ground. Well, that's the same thing in the spiritual realm. Prayer is like spiritual artillery. It paves the way for the infantry to get victory on the ground. Okay? So that's prayer. Any great victory as a Christian, individually, and as a church, it starts with prayer. That's why I pray that we could get a, our, our corporate prayer would be better attended on Wednesday evening after church. We used to have it before. Okay, I changed it to after. But, you know, it, people, if they understood that, if they understood that, if they really understood that, they really want to help their church, they would be here for that. They would make the time to be here for that. It's all about priorities. And you can sit there and tell me, you know, people like to tell me all kinds of excuses, but it's excuses. I, I don't listen to it. I don't listen to anybody who gives me excuses. And neither is Jesus. He's not going to give you any excuses. You don't listen to the excuses. What he's going to say is, why weren't you there? <laughs> you know, it's important. Hey, do you think eating's important? Who here thinks eating's important? I do because I have a plate of lasagna. Thanks to Jeannie. Do I have that plate of lasagna? Yeah, then keep that kid away from it. Okay? We love food. We make it a priority to eat. Right? How come we don't make it a priority to pray, pray with God's people? How come we don't make it a priority to eat the word of God? Our spiritual food. It's much more important than our temporal food. Right? I'll tell you why we don't. Priorities are wrong. Priorities are wrong. And I don't care who you are. You can argue with me all night long and I'm, you'll never win. Because all it just goes, okay... The word of God, man does not live on bread alone from every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What are you going to tell me that you've got more important than the word of God? Please tell me. And if you give me an excuse, you're just telling me. <laughs> what you're doing is you're revealing to everybody in God that you've got, you're saying that, the word, that, that all of these other things are more important than the word of God. That's what you're telling me when you give me an excuse. And you're not giving, it's not just me telling God that. So you've got to get, you've got to get your priorities right. Prayer is a priority. Corporate and individual. Both the early church was involved in the Lord's teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship. Breaking of bread talks about the Lord's Supper. Fellowship and also prayer. They prayed together. Read the book of Acts. Read the first several chapters and look at the way they prayed together. What happened? Great spiritual victories. The church grew. Hey, people want this church to grow? Maybe if they showed up the corporate prayer meeting, maybe our church would grow more. Maybe we would have more positive volition. But if you don't think, you think that this church is going to grow based upon some Madison Avenue technique, you can get another pastor. I'm not going to do that. You kidding me? I'll do it God's way. You could do it, go somewhere else, start your own church and do it your way. I'm not going to do it that way. So we, we need to understand the corporate prayer that Paul's requesting the Roman believers to get involved in is essential for his deliverance, for his success in Jerusalem. 
for his success in the mission field. Prayer is important, but it's sometimes a very difficult thing. It's difficult. It involves warfare. So in Romans 15.30, this word, see, let me get the word down here, sinagonizma, sinagonizma means to fight together with, and it's used with reference to, to intercessory prayer, emphasizing with Paul's readers that they must identify with him in prayer. Or in other words, in prayer, they were to assume his person as though they were in his place. Now, when he says with me, that denotes that the Roman believers were to accompany Paul in prayer for himself. I'm praying, he's saying, I want you to pray with me as well. Pray together with me for these things. Notice that the prayer is specific. You know, when you, you know, there are specific things, and we don't have the time to get into it, are the things you should pray for your, for your fellow believers. But there's specific things. We shouldn't just, I pray for them, Jesus. I pray for them, Father, in Jesus' name. Well, that's really vague. What's that going to do? Pray for what? Look at what Paul, he talks, gives details. This is what I want you to pray for. Look at what he says in verse 30. I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. For what? Does he say in Jesus' name, amen? No, he says, here's why. Specific. That I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. Deliverance from enemies. And that my servants for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Success. So that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Okay? There's the specific things he prays for. So if you know a person has a certain problem, pray for that specific need. If it's a health problem or whatever it is, be specific with God. You know, don't be vague. Now, when Paul says in verse 30, he says, Now, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God. In your prayers to God is, is a prepositional phrase in the Greek. We have the preposition N, translated in. And then we have the dative form of the definite article uh, O, which is, should be translated as a uh, possessive pronoun, yar. And then with it, we have the dative form of the noun prosef he. And that's translated prayers. That's a cool word, which we're going to talk a little bit about for the rest of the evening. And then along with it, we have the preposition pros, which is translated to. And then the articular accusative form of the noun theos, which is translated to God here. Now, this word prosef he, this word prosef he is actually a great, it's a great word. I did a lot of work on this word in Philippians. It appears in Philippians 4, 6. It refers here to prayer in a general sense, without reference to the content. We find out what the content is in, the, in verses 31 and 32. Here it denotes, this word, it's interesting, it denotes speaking face-to-face in the presence of the Father to offer up petitions, intercessory prayers, thanksgiving, and to worship Him. I, I think one of the great things, uh, one of the great things I heard about our, the book that we put out is that uh, someone came back, I don't know where I heard it, but they said, I never thought about prayer as being face-to-face with the Father. It said it, they said it, it transformed their prayer life. That's, you, know, you know what you should do? If you, if you're, we're visual people, right? You know what you should do? I do it all the time. Pretend God, if it makes it easier to pray, pretend God the Father's sitting right there. Say it's in the right chair. Sit there. But he's in you, okay? He's indwelling in you. But if it makes it easier to sit right there, he hears you. It's pretend you're at the right hand of the Father. And then talk to that chair as if he's there. And he's there, actually. He's inside you, he's everywhere, but the Father's listening to you. That will help you. Pour out your heart to him. You're in the presence of the Father. And you are, he's called Father God to you and me because that's our relationship to him. 
Now, I had a good relationship with my human father, still do, thank God, and I know a lot of people don't and haven't. However, your heavenly father, he's always there for you. He'll never let you down. 24-7, you're the apple of his eye. You're his kid. So speak to him as if you're his kid, because you are. And you are to, you need to be aware of that. Awareness is a great word. Awareness that you're in the presence of the Father. And you know, this word talks about, it emphasizes, prosephi, it emphasizes worshipful, a worshipful attitude of the believer. When we go into prayer, we should worship him. Think about his character, his nature. Father, you're, you're faithful. You're, you're omnipotent. You're sovereign. That's not for God to understand. It's for you. When you say that to him, that's for your benefit because it reminds you who you're speaking to. You read the, t- the t- prayers of the Old Testament. And when we study Jacob, and he married Jacob and he was wrestling with the Lord and he pr- spent an all night in prayer. I mean, you read you, Moses and these guys. They always address God, aware of, reminding themselves of God's character and nature. God, you're sovereign. You're all, all powerful. You're uh, everywhere present. You're all knowledge. You know, these are the things we need to understand when we approach God. We are to approach him and worship, with a worshipful attitude. That's the first, first, that's the first uh, uh, step in spiritual victory is worshiping God. Forget about what your needs are first. Worship God. Think about who he is, what you've learned in Bible class about him. And think about that. Meditate upon that. And see how, and ask yourself, how does that relate to my situation that I'm facing? That's how you... That's, see, it takes thinking. It takes time to do that. Shut off the TV. Shut off the TV. Think about your God. Talk to your God. Wouldn't that be awful? I mean, who wants to be ignored? But we ignore God so much instead of talking to him. We need to talk to him a lot more. So, this word, prosephi, is the object of the preposition and which functions as a marker of means indicating that Paul is appealing to his readers to fight together with him by means of their intercessory prayers. When I say intercessory prayers, I'm talking about you're you're praying for somebody else. Petitions is something you pray for yourself. Intercessory prayers when you're praying for somebody else. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's an intercessory prayer. So, uh, again, when he says uh, in, in your prayers, he's talking about, he says, by means of your prayers is what he means. Now, the articular construction of this noun functions as a possessive pronoun, as I said before, that should be translated your. So he's saying, I want you to pray for me, fight together with me in prayer on my behalf, and I want you to do it by means of your prayers or by means of being in the presence of the Father, your prayers. Now, the word God refers to the Father, because the scriptures teach, when it says in Romans fifteen thirty, if you could look, look at it, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God. And who's there? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit or Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or God the Father? Well, the Bible tells us, other scriptures tell us who exactly he's talking about. He's talking about God the Father. How do I know that? Because the scriptures teach that all prayer is addressed is to be addressed to the Father. That's exactly what the Bible uh, teaches. In fact, hold your place. Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 1. I'll show you. Jesus taught that. Jesus said, don't pray to me. Pray to the Father. Luke 11. It's called protocol in prayer. We're supposed to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Look at a Luke, Luke chapter 11, verse... Uh, look at verse 1. Luke 11, 1. 
Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, and they, they were very, very impressed by the way Jesus prayed. And uh, notice that he had no problems praying in front of them. He could shut everything off. He had so much concentration. He didn't have any problems praying in front of them at all. So he said, It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Now, they call this the Lord's Prayer. Actually, the Lord's Prayer is in John's, it's in John 17. That's the Lord's Prayer, Jesus Christ's Prayer to the Father. This is incorrectly called the Lord's Prayer. Okay? It's a model prayer. It's a, it's a template to, to pray. It's not, you shouldn't always just pray, like, uh, like we do in the Catholic Church. Our oh, Father, what in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. My, we're not even thinking. We're just blah, 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 blah. I mean, if we're honest with it, that, we're not thinking at all about what we're saying. You think God's impressed with that? Uh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> you might as well just, you know, be robots or something. That, I'm not impressed by that. And I'm not listening to that. This is a model, okay? This is a template to follow. Look at what he says. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Jesus? Say, Holy Spirit? No. Jesus taught them. They asked them exactly how you pray. Here's, here's how. Here's it follow. It's something you can follow. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? Talks about worship. Hallowed means, may your per- name means person. May you- hallowed means reverence. So he's saying, may your person be reverenced, God, or worshipped. That's the same word, prosephi, that we studied in Romans 15, 30. The word prayer talks about having a worshipful attitude toward the Father. This word does as well. Hallowed be your name. Means may your person be reverenced. But notice, the only reason why I took you there is I want you to know that all prayer is to be to the Father. Because Paul says he wants you to pray, he wants, wants the Roman believers to pray for him, fight together with him, in prayer for him, to God. And I wanted you to show you that that God there is the first person of the Trinity. So, and we know that because of what Jesus taught there in Romans, uh, Luke 11 too. He says, Father, okay? Look at John's Gospel, chapter 14. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 14. Look at, look at John 14. Look at verse 13. John's Gospel, chapter 14. Look at verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Notice that you're supposed to pray in Jesus' name. Look at verse 14. If you ask me, ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Look at John 16. Look at verse 23. John 16, 23. In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father, if you ask for Father, the, for the, for, for, uh, the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. However, we've got to balance that, boys and girls. Uh, look at 1 John. Look at 1 John. Go to near the end of the Bible. 1 John. And look at, I want you to go to chapter... Five, I believe.
Yeah, look at First John chapter 5, verse 14. I said that, right? This is the confidence, First John 5, 14. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. See, that's how you have to compare scripture with scripture. So if we heard the other thing, we'd say, well, I want to ask me anything and I'll give it to you. <laughs> that's why people go, the claim, name it, claim it crowd, they go, give me a Mercedes, Lord. <laughs> he says, if it's according to my will. Okay, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. Now, this is a key to the prayer. You're to pray back to to the Father, his word. You pray back to the Father, his word, the Bible. What do I mean by that? Well, the Father reveals his will through the word of God by the power of the Spirit. We're to ask God for what he wants for us and others and not what we want for ourselves. See, we ask for selfish reasons and that's not according to God's will. We have to ask for what he wants and to do that, we have to know what he wants. And the only way we know what he wants is if we know his Bible. So maybe one of the reasons why Christians don't have a great prayer life and feel I'm not getting the most out of my prayer life is because they don't know their Bible. Because they don't know what to ask for and to pray for. So we, prayer, the secret is, we ask God with what he wants. And what he wants is found in the word of God. Now go back to Romans. Go back to Romans 15.30, please. So it says in Romans 15.30... Hopefully you held there. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, or based upon our common relationship with the Lord, and on the basis of the love produced by the Spirit, to fight together with me in your prayers to God for me. So when he says to God, the word there is to God, that's referring to the Father. We know that because when you have the, the article in the Greek, an article in English is the. In Greek, when you have the article before the word theos, God, unless the context tells you otherwise, it's usually referring to the first member of the Trinity. The preposition here, uh, en, expo- uh, excuse me, pros, uh, expresses a close personal intimacy with the Father in prayer. So we see that when you're in prayer, he's saying, I want you to pray for me in the presence of the Father, and he's saying that that, and that speaks of an intimacy with the Father. So uh, the word here expresses the concept of fellowship with the Father in prayer. So Paul is commanding the Roman believers to fight together with him by means of their intercessory prayers in the presence of God the Father in prayer. So when you're going through combat, spiritual combat, and you're going through adversity in life, when you're in prayer, just think of it as like, you ever see bunny rabbits, little rabbits? And the rabbits are running around the ground and they hide under the cleft of a rock or under a building, right? Just think of prayer as a refuge for you, the little bunny rabbit who's being hunted by the devil. As hunt, and, and when you go to the presence of the Father and you're in fellowship, you're in the presence of the Father, it's just like that rabbit running underneath the cleft of a rock to protect itself. See, when you go to prayer, it's a refuge. That's some of the greatest saints in history who were not known by the world, but did great things in prayer for other people. And thus the kingdom of God will be rewarded. There'll be people who are getting rewards and will say, Where did they, what did they ever do? I didn't see them on Christianity Today. I didn't see them on the Gospel Channel. I didn't see them on T- uh, TNN. I didn't see them there on the Christian Broadcasting Network. I didn't read their book. Well, it might have been some woman 
who loved the Lord and God's people and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. There's a story of Bob Thien. He, had a, he went home to be with the Lord not too long ago. And he, he found out a woman for 35 years was bedridden, had been praying for his ministry. Who knows? Maybe that woman's prayers was the reason why he was so successful. Because pr- one of the reasons why he was so successful was her prayers for him and his ministry. So we look at prayer as a refuge. We're in the presence of the Father. Wherever you're going to, run to him in prayer. I know many of you do, like I do. Prayer is a face-to-face audience also with the Father. Remember that too. The next time you're in prayer, you're in his presence. So give him your strict attention. And he'll listen to you. He always does. Now, when he says, for me, at the very end of the sentence, that's another prepositional phrase. It's the word iper, translated for. And then we have the genitive form of the personal pronoun ego, which is translated me. This personal pronoun ego refers, of course, to Paul. And it's the object of the preposition iper, as I just mentioned. And that preposition functions as a marker of a participant who's benefited by an event. Now, what does that mean, Bill? It's simple. It marks Paul as benefiting for the, from the intercessory prayers of the Roman believers. Let me give you my translation of verse 30 on the board. Now I appeal to each and every one of you, spiritual brothers and sisters, without exception, on the basis of the common relationship we share with our Lord, namely Jesus, who is the Christ, as well as on the basis of the divine love which is produced by the Spirit, to fight together with me by means of your prayers in the presence of God the Father on behalf of me. So to summarize what we learned in this passage the last two evenings, we've seen that this verse, verse 30, serves as a transition from the sixth paragraph in chapter 15 to the seventh and final one. In this verse we've seen, Paul appeals to the Romans as a spiritual brother and thus based upon the common relationship that they share with the Lord Jesus Christ, they are to to strive together with him and prayer for him. Now, he also appeals in this verse as we've seen, He appeals to them based upon the divine love produced by the Spirit, which will enable them to intercede in prayer for him as would be pleasing to the Father. Also, we've seen in verse 31, and we'll note it uh, next week, Paul requests that he would be rescued from those who are disobedient to the gospel in Judea, and that his service for the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem would prove acceptable to the Jewish believers in that city. And then in verse 32, which we read earlier in the evening, and we'll see in in detail in the next couple of weeks, he reveals another objective. Namely, he wants them to pray, uh, he wants them to understand and pray that by the Father's will, he would enter into their company with joy and find refreshing rest in their company. So Romans 15.30, it's interesting, it's not the only place in Paul's writings where he requests that his readers enter into prayer on his behalf. Let me tell you something. One thing Paul knew, is that you know, prayer is dependence upon God. It's an expression of dependence upon the Father. And His sufficiency, all sufficiency, in our, because we're insufficient in ourselves. Paul knew that. He knew the, the, the importance of other believers praying for him. So I want you to pray for me, those who can hear my voice. Never let me out of your prayer life. Because without your prayers, we can do nothing here. So Romans 15.30 teaches that, that all pastors, all teachers of the Word of God, and all evangelists, they need the prayers of people to support them. There's a man named Spurgeon, who was one of the greatest expositors of the Word of God. We have his writings today in the 1800s. And he used to have this place in England, and the whole upstairs would be filled with thousands of people. 
And downstairs would be another thousand people praying for the service and praying for the people. Those people got it. Great successes in the life of a church all begin with prayer. Great successes in the life of an individual begin with prayer. And Paul knew that. Romans 15.30 is not the only place in Paul's writings where he requests uh, that his readers enter into prayer on his behalf. For instance, in Ephesians 6.19, the Net Bible translation, he says, Pray for me also, that I may be given the message when, when I begin to speak, that I may confidently make known the mystery of the gospel. So the application, pray that your pastor would be able to speak with boldness about the mystery of the gospel. Also, he says in Colossians 4.2, and we'll close here, another, tra- another quote from the Net Bible. Paul says in Colossians 4.2 and 3, Be devoted to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. And your prayers should always be sprinkled with thanksgiving to the Father. And then he says in verse 3, At the same time, pray for us too, those who are with Paul, that God may open up a door for the message, the gospel, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. When he, when he asked this, this request, when he wrote this to the Colossians, he was waiting for his appeal before season, Caesar as he was uh, chained to a Roman soldier, a Praetorian guard, uh, guardsman in Rome, waiting his appeal before Caesar. So notice that Paul, in those two verses, and there are others, as well as Romans 15, 30 through 32, which Paul sees the importance of prayer. And thus we should see, to get the message of the Spirit telling us, Pray, pray, pray. Pray for the communicators of the Word of God. So, Father, we, we, uh, if we could bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time to study your Word. We thank you for your people who are here this evening. And we pray that they would be encouraged, challenged, rebuked if necessary, instructed in righteousness, that they may be, might be blessed by the message. And they would gain a greater insight into prayer and the, the, the joys of prayer and the power of prayer. So, Father, we just lift up uh, those individuals this evening, that they would be built up and edified. We also pray that the fellowship after church, after uh, this, this Bible class, would be guided and directed and empowered by the Spirit. And give us traveling mercies on the way home for those in the chapel. And our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.